that in mind, let's pray and ask God for help, and then we'll look at Psalm 10. Um, Father, please reveal yourself to us now as we read your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as we um, look at this psalm, that it will inform how we pray to you. Uh, So grow us in our relationship with you and how it expresses itself in prayer. Amen. Uh, Well, from time to time, I watch videos on YouTube, uh, and based on what I've watched, YouTube will just, you know, pop up some new suggestions. Uh, Maybe disturbingly, I get suggestions to watch um, videos from the law and crime channels. Um, But don't worry, I also get videos suggested to watch ship launches going horribly wrong and sending attractive lookalikes to high school reunions. And I blame that based on the the football team I follow and the videos I watch on them, not on my personality. But one of the videos that came from one of those crime channels was a video that clearly says what it's about. The title was, Video Shows Father Punch Son's Killer During Court Hearing. And the title tells you everything. Uh, As the mother is telling the court how the defendant, who had pleaded guilty, took away her only child, the father sees an opportunity and he seizes it and he launches himself to punch his son's killer. And as you start to read the comments, 16,000 or so comments, they all have a similar tune. Their heart goes out to the family, but they understand what the father did. And in some of them, they endorse what the father does. And I think that all speaks to all of us when evil enters into our lives. Uh, We want to see perpetrators punished. We don't want people to get away with it. Um, we feel heartbreak, don't we, and anger when there is no judgment on evil and when people get away with violence and wickedness. And it's not just individuals in our society, as we've heard, um, with regards to, say, even things like domestic abuse, um, but we also see it with nations getting away with what seems like injustice. You know, it's been 150 days since the war between Russia and Ukraine started, And that's not the only war that happens. And we think of the invasion of from uh, and the impact, and it's going to be it's it's seemingly going to be 5.5 billion dollars of damage to the Ukraine environment. And even today, uh, it's been reported that Russian missiles have hit the southern port of Odessa. And this is only just let's just be clear: it's only just 12 hours after Moscow and Kiev signed deals to allow grain to be exported uh, out of that city so that people could be fed. And we get angry, don't we? And we, we feel the injustice and we want, action, we want action, don't we? We want punishment. We don't want nations to get away with this. And it's right that we turn to God, and especially when we can't do anything about it. And our response is to pray, because in some sense, that's all we've got in some ways. We pray in times like this. And so as we start this new series, we turn to the book of Psalms, because the Psalms are the prayer book for uh, us. They're the prayer book for the Israelites, and we can use the words of the prayers in the Psalms to inform how we pray, and that's what we're going to be doing for the next um, few weeks. So when we face evil and wickedness, how should we pray? When there's unchecked injustice in the world, how should we talk to God? Because maybe um, it's a bit of a shock to hear how the psalmist talks to God. 
He says, in light of wickedness and evil, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. This is like a battle cry. Uh, Get into action, God. Use your power. And later on he'll say, Break the arm of the wicked man. Uh, Do you pray that? Uh, Do you pray like that? Maybe we've got something wrong that we don't pray that way. Or maybe there's something why we don't pray that way. But it is a strong call, isn't it, on to ask God to extinguish the power of the enemy. Is this how we ought to pray? Should we call on God to execute immediate justice? But then we have in the back of our mind, well, what happened to love your enemy and turning the other cheek? Is this just an Old Testament thing? Well, we'll try to answer some of these questions. But maybe more foundational, before we even get to praying, it's what the psalmist raises in verses 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? See, here is something more fun- fundamental to our, to our prayers, is, is what we believe about God. And here, the psalmist says to God, why are you so distant? Why are you so absent? When there's trouble, you, you, you're, not even, you're not even around. And it's like he's, God's turned off his, mob, his mobile phone or he's in, you know, the reception's a bit patchy up in the heavenly realms. Uh, he, he seems to just not take the call and not act or do anything about it. And so what is the answer to what seems like, well, God's detached. When you look at the evil around and nothing's happening, Well, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, to think that God's not doing anything? Well, the psalmist considers this and he comes up with an answer. But before he gets to the answer, he ponders the wicked person. He focuses on the wicked man in the psalm. You'll see that in verses 2 to 11. And the thing that he reflects on the the, uh, wicked man is his godless confidence and this being the root of his evil. And for some reason, he ponders this, and then somehow he comes out of it. So we're going to trace that. We're going to look at how the psalmist ponders this wicked man's arrogance and boasting and how he comes out of it, clinging more to God. But let's have a look at what he says about the wicked man. He describes this wicked man. Now, just to be clear, uh, it it can be also talking about nations surrounding. So the context of Psalm 9 and 10 is not just an individual in the society, but also extended far beyond. The wicked man, in some sense, is a generalization of nations surrounding and how they behave. And so it can be both individual, but also uh, the nations surrounding But the wicked man is described as one who murders the innocent, takes advantage of the weak, and abuses the helpless. And despite this wickedness, uh, he just seems to get away with it. He prospers. And at the heart of this evil is this godless confidence, this vacuum where God is not present. See verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts... There is no room for God. God has been so far removed from his thinking and it's led to him believing that he can just get away with anything because God will not call him account. He 
is just full of confidence, godless confidence to just keep being wicked. And so no wonder he, he says to himself in verse 11, uh, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Now, if we stopped the psalm right there, if we, with the psalmist, evaluate what the psalmist could see, the evidence that's right in front of his eyes, it seems to confirm that God is distant. He's no indifferent to evil. Sorry, he is indifferent to evil. Uh, but as we read on, the psalmist doesn't despair. He doesn't abandon his trust. So why is that? Why does he turn to God? Well, something changes for him. But before we go there, I think it's, it's important to see that the, the, the psalmist sees that what lies at the root of evil is the absence of God. It's in those that act wickedly, there is no room for God. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? When we dismiss God in our society, there's no effective barrier to horrible sin. Yes, there can be the police. Yes, there's still the law and authorities. But it's a scary thought that once you dismiss God, we open ourselves up, don't we? And maybe it's that horror, the horror of an, a society with God is absent that he ironically turns to God and he calls up God. Verse 12, arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. And he starts to reflect on who God is. And part of reflecting on God, on who God is is he starts to be reminded and convicted that it's actually... Out of all the people, it's only God who is rightful to punish evil. He is the king forever. And it is the king's role in Israel's history, but also for God, to punish evil. And that's what he declares in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. And part of being king is that second line, the nations will perish from his land. As in, he will get rid of the enemies. And as we hear that, we can't not hear of the past. You see, because God is king, the psalmist boldly pleads with God, not only in verse 12, but also in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked man, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. See, it's not just the conviction that God is king, but the conviction that, well, he will punish. And it's only God who has the strength to do so, but also it is only God who is the perfect eyewitness. See, despite human authority, despite law courts, um, they can still run out of evidence. They lack evidence uh, or, they, or completely miss it. But God is the perfect eyewitness. Nothing goes beyond what God can see. But the psalmist keeps reflecting and he reflects on how God has acted. And he picks up in Israel's history God hearing the cries of those afflicted. If you look at verse 17, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. And that brings up Exodus, doesn't it? Where Israel, uh, under the enslavement and oppression of the Egyptians, uh, and God hears their cry and he acts. He comes in might and power and he defeats the armies of Pharaoh and delivers Israel from the might and power. And the psalmist then trusts that God is the king and throne 
and he will judge the nations as he has done in the past, and he will set things right. Now for us, we can take a leaf out of the psalmist's book. When we hear of evil, of unjust wars, when we hear of brothers and sisters in Christ being brutally persecuted around our world, when we suffer evil at the hands of those who have godless confidence, uh, and we're tempted to think that God is absent because he will not act, well, we can also remember the decisive act in history that reminds us that God has not abandoned us. We reminded that God drew near, he intervened, and for once and for all, he declared to the world that he will punish all evil. And when's that? Well, hopefully you'll know what it is. It's the cross of Christ. God takes his role to punish evil so seriously that at the cross, God intervenes to deal justly with all of the world's evil. God takes it so seriously to punish evil that he's willing to punish his son unjustly in some way. Sinless Jesus becoming our sin offering. And it's at the cross God demonstrates his justice. Jesus suffers injustice so that God can not only offer forgiveness to sinners, but that he retains integrity of his own justice. So when you look at the cross, the cross is saying to you, God will punish all evil. He has started at the cross and he will finish it when Jesus returns. God has taken his role to punish evil so seriously that, he, that even Jesus is willing to suffer punishment. So when you're tempted to think that God is indifferent towards evil, when we think God is absent in times of trouble, when, you, when the psalmist says, Arise, Lord, break the arms of the wicked, he fulfills that at the cross. But instead of the wicked being punished, it's the innocent in order that sinners might go free. So when you're despondent or apathetic, when you see evil, you get dismayed that people and nations get away with it, what will help you not to be despondent and apathetic? It's looking to the cross. When we look at the cross, it reminds us that evil will be punished. God has indeed acted and he will act. And when we look to our king and trust that because he was willing to die, um, he will execute judgment. That's part of who Jesus is. Jesus will rule and reign and he will bring about the judgment that is to come. So we pray not by sight, but we pray by faith. And our faith is filled with the cross and with our king. It reminds us that God is not absent. So let's just spend a few moments as we finish our time thinking about how does this prayer, how does this psalm help us pray? And one of the questions I want to finish off with is, can we pray for God to act with justice immediately and instantly? You know, can we cry out when we've been harmed uh, wrongly or when we see nations being taken or the people being oppressed, uh, people being taken advantage of? Can we cry to God for justice and have an immediate dispensement of justice right there and then? Well, Remember, the Psalms have been designed as a prayer book for God's people. And I think, yes, we can call on God to, 
to, to act, to stop the evil, the power of the evil, uh, to come to people's aid, to help the weak and the oppressed. And so uh, when you think about your prayers, does that come? Does that come? Do, the, do those words spring out? where you cry out for those who are oppressed. But then it, I kind of want to temper that a little bit as well. It's not like when someone, uh, maybe you're driving and someone cuts you off and you say, break that guy's arm, God. You know, when, when someone doesn't thank you for, for what you've done, you say, break that arm. Or neighbours keeping you up at night. Like, this is not something we can just dis- call on God lightly. It's, I think in some sense it's only the most horrible or evil events that we, we, we want to call on God's justice. But the problem is we need to pray in light of the cross, don't we? Because when we look at the cross, it actually helps shape our prayers. Yes, we call for justice because we see that in the cross, God is a God of justice, But we also see that when he punishes sin, he also offers forgiveness. So when we call on God to enact justice, we need to be very careful because when we look at the cross, we not only see justice, we see mercy. And it also reminds us that we are perpetrators of injustice. When you look at the cross, you are reminded that you are like the wicked man in Psalm 10. You have not loved your neighbor perfectly. You have not cared for the widow 100% completely or the orphan or the poor or the foreigner. When we look at the cross, we're reminded of our wickedness. And remember Mark 7 reminds us that all of us have wicked and evil inside our hearts. And so, yes, when we pray for justice, we pray for God to act, but at the same time, we need to temper that by calling on God to show mercy because he has shown mercy to us, knowing that we have not loved our neighbor perfectly. So, yes, let's pray for God to act, but let's also confess our sins and ask for mercy, not only for us, but for the perpetrators When we have not been concerned for the weak and the oppressed, let's confess that and call on God to act. And maybe for you, you're not concerned about the weak and the oppressed. And that's a a place where you need to repent and call on God to act in your life so that you might act justly. So pray that you repent. Pray that you wouldn't succumb to the cravings of your heart to repent of the worship, the desires of your heart, which take you away from sacrificial service. Because it's easy, isn't it? It's so subtle to go along with the manner of life that resembles godless confidence. It's so easy. I think even this week, uh, uh, making decisions, had no even thought of what God might think of these particular decisions. It's so easy just to go along with godless confidence, to make decisions and not even consider that we live in the presence of God each day. So let's call on God to work deeply in our hearts by his spirit so that we might depend on God and that not have the confidence of godlessness but have the confidence in our great God. And let's praise God as well. This psalm causes us to praise God that God is a God of justice. God listens to the oppressed. God is concerned for the needy. He is 
the one who is for the victim. He cares for the fatherless. He loves the weak and the helpless. And that should lift our hearts in adoration to praise our God that he, at his very heart, is concerned with justice. And we thank him for his character and we praise him for the way in which he acts. But lastly, uh, do you know how we can stop evil in our world? We call on God to make Jesus' reign and rule known. Because that's how God's kingdom and rule is established. That's how justice uh, is, is, is spread throughout our world, is when people put their trust in Christ and acknowledge him as the king and judge. And so why not call on God to make this city of Wollongong, this nation, this world, know and honour the perfect rule of his son Jesus? I mean, that's what Jesus did, didn't he, when uh, he was given all authority in heaven and earth when he was raised to life. He didn't say, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth to, to bring punishment now, but salvation And so he charged his disciples to go out to the nations, to make disciples, extend his rule and reign into the world. And so pray that God's justice would be established now as Christ's kingship and kingdom is proclaimed in the good news of Jesus. And as we wait for Christ to return, we pray for encouragement in our hearts, strengthened to keep trusting him, even when wicked men and wicked nations act We pray that God will encourage us to trust him completely. So let me finish with a prayer adapted from Timothy Keller. Lord, the world is filled with so many tragedies and injustices. We wish we knew the why behind so many things. For despite appearances and what we see from our extremely limited vantage point, you have never wronged anyone Help us to trust your wisdom and give our hearts the encouragement and strength that only you can give. Amen.